As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll board it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv. This is the podcast where I tell you stories from ancient Greek mythology in a this-is-crazy-and-my-god-they-were-sexist kind of way. Thank you all for listening lately. It's been lovely. There we go, we'll jump right in. To preface this particular story, as with all Greek myths, there are so many variations because of the way the stories were passed down. That being said, this one has versions that, frankly, sit at opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to how heroic and or how straight-up shitty the main character is. As you might have gathered from the title of the episode, I have a particular viewpoint. There are some myths that emphasize this guy's heroism and not many of his flaws, but I think those flaws are pretty hard to overlook. This is episode 5, Theseus, ruiner of women and all-around awful person. 
This is the story of Theseus, one of the biggest assholes of ancient Greece. Now, Theseus was the mythological founder of Athens, so many stories paint him as a great hero, like Heracles or Perseus. I see him as more of a narcissistic prick who just happens to be a hero, but was in no way comparable to Perseus or Heracles, and who happened to eventually found Athens fine, though that isn't the focus of the myths associated with him. This is his story. It begins in Athens. Now, this is a kind of mythological prehistoric Athens before it was its ancient magnificent, magnificent self, and also before it was the Athens that Theseus came to found, because chronologically that's how this has to work. So, the king of this prehistoric Athens, his name is Aegeus, and he'd recently gone to the oracle to ask about his future. This was common, and as we know, it never goes well. Now, oracles are basically just women who are enslaved by the priests of a particular oracle temple. There were two main temples, Delphi and the island of Delos. Individually, these ladies are called Pythias. The oracle is kind of the name of the place and the woman in it, but she alone is a Pythia. Like many things in this ancient world, it's a bit confusing. It's like you go to see the oracle to see how you're going to die, but it's the Pythia who tells you you're going to be eaten by a bear on your way home. Make sense? I like to think these ladies kind of reveled in fucking with the primarily old men who went to seek their fortune. Almost always they'd ask when or how they were going to die, and I think that's just asking for trouble. Now, this Pythia, she wasn't one for clarity, which is a running theme, and she told King Aegeus, quote, Do not loosen the bulging mouth of the wineskin until you have reached the height of Athens, lest you die of grief. This is obviously a baffling statement, and like me, Aegeus had no clue what the fuck the woman was talking about. Like I said, I think they just like to mess with people. So Aegeus wants to know what's up, and he asks the king of another nearby city for his advice. This king's suggestion was that Aegeus should get drunk and sleep with his daughter. That is, this king's daughter. Basically, he said, Aegeus. I don't know what that means, but the obvious answer would be would be for you to drink too much and bang my daughter. Sound good? Because ancient Greece. Now Aegeus takes this advice because he's classy as fuck and patriarchy, but the plot thickens. This daughter, her name is Ethra, and she leaves Aegeus' bed like right after they do the dirty and she heads to a nearby island. Or we can just say beach, because I, I have no idea how she'd get to an island in the middle of the night, but not the point, thankfully. There, she pours a libation for Poseidon, you remember the one, the god of the sea and horses, and another of ancient Greece's giant assholes. Poseidon is psyched that this hot chick is pouring wine, I assume it's wine, into the ocean for him, even though it seems like a waste of perfectly good wine to me, but whatever. Poseidon, who is much like his brother Zeus in his absolute lack of all self-control, just can't resist this woman. He goes for it. Because this is ancient Greece, Ethra ends up impregnated by a combination of the two men, because biology. This means that Theseus, the child that's ultimately born of this super weird union, is both mortal and demigod. 
As soon as Aegeus learns that Aethra is pregnant, he pieces out. You see, he's super into responsibility. So instead of even waiting until there's a baby, he heads back to Athens, where he ends up shacking up with Medea. This is shortly after Medea went crazy and killed her children. A story for another time. Before Aegeus leaves, though, he buries his sandals and his sword under a giant rock, and he tells Aethra that when the child is old enough, he should try to move the rock, and if he can, then that means he's somehow heroic and worthy of the tokens. This, of course, means nothing. I'm sure Aethra was pretty psyched that the parting gift she got when she's looking at a lifetime of caring for a fatherless child in a hardcore patriarchy where women aren't even citizens is dirty old shoes hidden under a rock. Nevertheless, she persisted. It's a bit of an old reference now, but I'm keeping it. Finally, when Theseus is old enough, he does exactly as his father instructed before abandoning him, and he finds the tokens. Aethra tells him about his mortal father and his Athenian birthright. She apparently leaves out the Poseidon part, and the part about Aegeus being a shit... Of course, no teenage boy can resist the call of being secret royalty, so he sets out to meet his father. As he sets out, he learns he can get to Athens by one of two ways. By sea, where he is unlikely to encounter any issues, or by land, where he will be required to bypass six entrances to the underworld. He chooses to travel by land, because toxic masculinity has existed always. So, Theseus sets out to complete these six labors. They are, frankly, not particularly interesting. They're no labors of Heracles, let me tell you. Highlights include defeating a robber named Sinus, who goes by another name that is too much ancient Greek for me to pronounce, but means he who bends pine trees. This is because he literally bent pine trees to kill his victims. He would bend the trees and secure them. Then he'd tie a person's hands to one end and feet to the other, and then he'd free the tree branches, which would fling back to their upright positions, taking either end of you with them, like just ripping you in half. Using trees. He was a chill guy. Theseus defeats him by doing exactly what he did to his victims. This is one of Theseus's less morally complicated decisions, which I think says something. After tearing the tree dude in half, and because he's a super great guy, he, quote, became intimate with the tree guy's daughter. Translation, he raped her, because I'm willing to bet she didn't jump at the chance to fuck the guy who just tore her dad in half. Bonus, he impregnates her and then leaves. Strike one, Theseus. Another of the six labors involved killing a giant sow. It's unclear what the sow ever did to deserve being killed by a random dude traveling through Greece. One story says it was a child of Typhon and Echidna, you know, the crazy monster parents we mentioned in episode one. I always say we as if it's not just me and my cat in a room anyway. You remember Typhon and Echidna with all the snake shit? But you can't choose your parents, you know? So... He passed through these six labors, basically killing five people and a cow, but the other four are just kind of bandits in some kind of or another. It's literally one of the most boring, quote, hero stories of ancient Greece. And this guy's the founder of Athens, honestly. 
When Theseus finally gets to Athens, he goes to the king as if he's just some random guest. Ancient Greeks had this guest-host relationship concept, which was crazy sacred to them. It's called Xenia, and basically you cannot break that bond for anything. Frankly, it's a little limiting and has led to many awful situations, which I'm sure I will cover in future episodes. This is what Theseus claims to the king, who's actually his father. He's just like, hey, I want a place to stay. Oh, random guy who looks a lot like me, but that's probably a coincidence. Aegeus obliges because, again, he has to. Basically, you go somewhere and you just claim this guest host relationship and they have to treat you like gold, like no matter what you do, which is where it gets crazy. So Medea, who's living with Aegeus, somehow she realizes who Theseus is immediately, though she's never met him, which leads me to believe they have a crazy resemblance and Aegeus is just kind of dumb. Medea, though, she's pissed because in rolls Theseus all, I defeated five bandits and a sow, and one of them was a pretty big weirdo. Like, he owns the place, and she's worried he'll be made king over her son with Aegeus, i.e. the one child she hasn't yet killed. I don't want to give Medea too much flack. She had some mental health issues she didn't deal with. Regardless, she has a reputation. Medea wants Theseus dead, ASAP. Ideally, before Aegeus realizes who he is and cares a hell of a lot more. So, in an attempt to have him killed, Medea asks Theseus to capture the Marathonian bull. This would be a bull from Marathon, where the first marathon took place. Also, an epic battle. I believe it was by sea, which is pretty cool for an ancient civilization. Anyway, Theseus, of course, captures the bull and he brings it back to Athens, again all hero-like. Medea's pissed, and she decides poison is now her best bet. Why she didn't go with that before is beyond me. It sounds quite a bit easier, and with less waiting than suggesting the future king goes after a Marathonian bull for no good reason, but hey, I'm not a queen, what do I know? So Medea plans her poisoning. There's a banquet, and Medea's eyeing Theseus up as he's about to take a sip of his poison-laced wine, but no! Aegeus, with his razor-sharp mind, who has not recognized his son up to this point, does recognize his own sword and sandals. I mean, I'm not one to talk. I had a pair of flip-flops for nine years, and now they're gone, and my heart hurts. Aegeus knocks the poison out of Theseus's hand. The wine goes flying. Aegeus has, at the last possible minute, saved this gem of a man. Finally, Theseus is in Athens, he, on, he has on his super memorable shoes, and father and son are reunited at last. But of course, there's more trouble a Bruin. I don't call Theseus a giant asshole just because he killed a possibly evil sow. There's a group of brothers, nephews of Aegeus, who have had their eye on the throne up to now. Now that Theseus is back and an obvious heir to the throne, they're in trouble. Where Medea and Aegeus' other kid with her, who she had considered next in line, come into this kerfuffle, I don't know. These dudes, though, they're called the Palantides, the sons of Pallas. That's titties with a D, but it does sound like titties. 
A fun thing about ancient Greece and mythology are names like that. You get to sound like you're in some super elite club, but really you're just brothers and it's named after your dad. The Palantides. So the Palantides plan to force Theseus out of the palace and ambush him as he leaves. They plan it all out, but old Theseus figures it out and he attacks them before they can execute their not-so-brilliant-in-hindsight plan. Again, I'll make the point that Theseus's wins were all pretty anticlimactic up to this point. I concede there's a more exciting one to come, but still, boring until now. At this point, Theseus sails to the island of the Amazons. And uh, let me just preface this with a statement on Wonder Woman. Firstly, it was awesome. I didn't even expect it to feel so good to watch a woman be a superhero that's that badass and to have a movie that's all about her. It's like you don't realize you're missing something until you have it. And it's like, oh, this is what it feels like to be part of a gender that is shown to be badass and independent in movies. Weird. That said, how is Ares suddenly the big bad guy? He has myth- minimal mythological stories, and he's really never all that troubling. Like, sure, he perpetuates war, but he certainly doesn't kill all the other gods. And while we're at it, you can't kill the other gods. So that is its pro- is a problem in itself. Also, Diana is a Roman name. Let's make that perfectly clear. Hippolyta is real. I'll concede on that single point. As well as the sister I don't remember, but, you know, Robin Wright also a real character. Anyway, though, the movie was great, don't get me wrong, but the idea of having Professor Lupin with a mustache suddenly the god of war is a baffling thing to me. Oh, spoilers. Sorry, that should have come before. Just, you should have seen Wonder Woman already. If you're listening to this podcast about feminist Greek mythology, you should have seen Wonder Woman already. Anyway... Theseus travels to the island of the Amazons and he meets Queen Hippolyta. See what I did there? And she visits him on his ship to welcome him to her island. And she brings him a gift. And what is the polite course of action when royalty brings you a gift? Why, it's to sail away with her still on board in order to kidnap the goddamn queen. Oh, and then rape and impregnate her. And no, they didn't have a daughter. That's not Wonder Woman, because again, the name Diana is Roman. It's so Roman, it's just the Greek goddess Artemis's Latin name. Her Roman name was Diana. And she was a super virgin, so Wonder Woman would not match up. No, Hippolyta ultimately gives birth to Hippolytus. And then, of course, is abandoned by Theseus, because that's just what he does. Strike two, Theseus. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. Last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! 
I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, at some point in his life, Theseus made a friend named Perithus, who was a son of Zeus. Apparently, their bromance began when Perithus was caught driving away some of Theseus's cows. How all great friendships begin, if you ask me. When Theseus confronts Perithus about said cows, they're both so overcome by each other's overt masculinity that they immediately become lifelong friends. As both are sons of gods, I guess Theseus kind of picks and chooses who his father is at any given time, they determine that they have the right to marry daughters of the gods themselves. Theseus, in all his glory, decides on Helen, later of Troy, and kidnaps her. He decides to bring her to his mother's home, where she'll live until she's old enough. That's right, she is at this point an actual child. And not old enough in ancient Greece is a whole different concept than not old enough in 2017. I'm guessing she's like 12 at best. Strike three, Theseus. Three strikes are out, you say? Not when you're a demigod, apparently. Thankfully, sort of, Helen and Theseus' mother are subsequently kidnapped themselves and taken to Sparta while Theseus is away. Though some stories, some stories say that she was actually freed by her twin brothers Castor and Pollux, so we can hope that that one's true. 
Either way, Helen escapes his grasp, if only to eventually end up in some hot water of her own. See, the Trojan War. But Theseus's buddy, Perithous, he decides that the woman he wants to take for his wife is Persephone. Now, this may have been a fine idea were she not married to the god of the goddamn underworld and queen of the goddamn underworld herself. This does not deter Supermask Perithous, however, and he and Theseus decide they will sneak into the underworld, which is always a good idea, and pursue Persephone right under the nose of her god of the underworld husband. Perithous is so disturbingly confident that he straight up tells Hades his plan. He walks up to Hades, who's in his underworld throne, and tells him the whole plan, pointing out that obviously Persephone would be way happier with Perithous, who is clearly God's gift to women. And lo and behold, this doesn't go well. Hades, not one to be taken in by something so crazy, decides to mess with Perithous by playing along. He tells him, yeah, sure, if you think she'll be so much happier with you, have at it. First, though, have a drink with me, the man whose wife you're about to run off with. They sit down to have a drink, and bam! The magic of the darkest depths of the underworld, Tartarus, takes hold. Essentially, they end up turned nearly to stone. Theseus is trapped in his seat and forced to watch Perithous, who has been also been turned into living stone, and who is... From there on out, tormented by furies, serpents, and even Cerberus, the three-headed dog himself. Neither of them can move a single muscle, but they are 100% alive and watching slash feeling this all go down. And they 100% deserve it. I'll be generous here and not give Theseus his fourth strike, if only because Persephone was mainly Perithous's plan. Still, just say no, Theseus. So Theseus is eventually saved by Heracles, but Perithous never gets to leave the underworld. Which just goes to show, maybe it's not the best idea to kidnap a woman who was already married to her own kidnapper. Who'd have thought? Suddenly freed, even though his friend is living in hell for the rest of his life, Theseus heads back to Athens, where some real dark shit has been going down. At this point, the situation in Athens is that every few years they have to send a collection of young girls and boys to Crete to be sacrificed to the Minotaur in the labyrinth, and we've come full circle. There are a couple different backstories to how the super shitty for Athens deal came along, but the point is, it's now a requirement. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, good old King Minos was finding various ways of keeping his stepson the Minotaur fed. This was one of them. So after a few instances of these young people being sent over to die in the labyrinth, Theseus decides to buck the fuck up and sail over to destroy the Minotaur himself. Sounds valiant, right? Just a brave young man setting out to save the citizens of his city? We'll see. When King Minos arrives in Athens to pick up a slew of these new and unlucky Athenians, Theseus volunteers. As Theseus is planning to leave Athens to sail for Crete, he makes his father a promise. 
Aegeus is afraid his son will not survive, and he wants to know as soon as possible whether or not he's made it. So they come up with a solution. Theseus promises that when he's returning from his mission to Crete, he'll return sailing with white sails, whereas his ship currently has black. And that way Aegeus can see from afar that his son is returning safe and sound and he won't worry his poor old man heart. Seems like they've grown really close over this time, ever since he recognized those shoes. That's heartwarming, really. So Theseus sets out to Crete with King Minos and the other young Athenians just waiting to be sacrificed. And as they're sailing along the Mediterranean, King Minos apparently makes a rude advance towards one of the Athenian women on board. And Theseus, suddenly a gentleman, comes to her aid. He claims this is his duty as a son of Poseidon. Apparently, he has no issue picking and choosing which father he references at any given time. King Minos calls bullshit, and he tells Theseus that if this is true, then the creatures of the sea will want to help him. So he throws his ring overboard, and he tells Theseus to go get it. As we've learned from Theseus's dealings with Medea, he is not one to back down from a challenge, no matter how ridiculous. So he dives in. King Minos is, of course, wrong in this instance, and Theseus is helped by a Nereid, a sea nymph, and he finds the ring. And as a bonus, the nymph gives him a jeweled crown, because he needed a bigger ego, if you ask me. Meanwhile, on Crete, in the city of Knossos, King Minos has the two daughters I mentioned last week, Ariadne and Phaedra, and that stepson, you know the one, top half bull, lives in the labyrinth? Ariadne is young and beautiful, and just moments from Theseus' landing on the shores of the island, Ariadne falls in love with him. Reed, he takes advantage of this young woman who's infatuated with this heroic newcomer, because, let's be honest, he already abandoned one woman and their kid. We know how he operates. Two women and their kids! Guys, he's a shitty dude. Ariadne is a teenager who is smitten by this handsome Athenian prince that has shown up to her island. We've all been there, am I right? She immediately wants to help him, no doubt in the hopes that he'll take her with him to Athens. Ariadne, who, as I mentioned, has the best name ever, gives Theseus a ball of thread so that as he travels through the labyrinth, he can lay it down as he goes and then he can use it to find his way out after. As we know, because Daedalus was a badass inventor, he invented human wings, for God's sake, uh, this labyrinth was impressive. It was impossible to find your way in or out, not in, it was impossible to find your way out, and it was super dangerous, you know, mostly because there was an angry teenage minotaur in the middle who just wants to live his minotaur life in peace. Theseus defeats the minotaur. Often it's said this is through strength alone, but I bet it was more like the thing was sleeping and he slit its throat from behind or something, you know. But then, I'm not Theseus' biggest fan. When the Minotaur is successfully slain, Theseus finds his way out of the labyrinth using Ariadne's nifty thread, and he's in the clear. Now, let me just interject right here and tell you that Wikipedia might be might as well be Theseus' official fan club. I swear he can do no wrong in the eyes of whoever wrote that article. The mythology I've read in the classes I've taken paint him in a very different light. This is the light I now share with you. If you want to think Theseus is a god among men, go read Wikipedia and shut up. That's all to say. Versions diverge from here on out. Theseus takes Ariadne with him when he escapes the labyrinth and Crete. Now, 
Like many women in myth, she wanted to go along, don't get me wrong. She was all, she was after all very young and very in love with this brave hero Theseus. No doubt he looked like the great gods he was related to. Sexy as hell, I'm sure. So they go off together. So young, so in love after their adventure defeating a minotaur. And the lovers stop on the island of Naxos en route to Athens. Theseus professes his love for her, he tells her a million wonderful things about their future together, and they do the dirty. The next morning, Theseus promptly abandons Ariadne on the island and proceeds to marry her sister Phaedra because he's a goddamn asshole. Strike four, Theseus. <laughs> Four strikes, you say. That must be enough. But Theseus, he's not done yet. Now, some will say he forgot Ariadne, and in his grief about it, he turned to Phaedra. But I call bullshit for obvious, no one forgets another human on an island and then marries the sister reasons. So Theseus, free of the pesky woman who only wanted to love him and be free of her crazy family that's been keeping a minotaur in a labyrinth and feeding it young people, sets out for Athens with Phaedra. Now, if you'll recall, Theseus made a promise to his father. He had one thing to do, remember, and that was to take five minutes, okay, more than five, maybe, I don't know, boats, and change the goddamn sails from black to white. Did he, though? Did he? Of course he didn't. Theseus forgets to change the sails on his ship. Theseus's father, Aegeus, who's been standing on a cliff watching the sea every day since Theseus left, just hoping to the gods that his beloved son will return safely. He sees the ship approaching. He spots the black sails, and he's immediately so overcome with grief over the death of his son that he throws himself into the sea. And therein, my friends, lies the origin of the name of the Aegean Sea, and obviously, strike five, Theseus. Now it's just getting silly. At this point, Theseus has impregnated uh, a woman whose father he first killed and subsequently abandoned her and their child. He then, you know, uh, kidnapped and also impregnated and abandoned Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. He's taken Ariadne away from her home in the hopes of a happy marriage and then abandoned her on an island and then got together with her sister and he's caused... His, de his father's death because he couldn't remember to change the goddamn sails on his ship. One might think he would be fresh out of awful intentions, but one would be wrong. The story of Theseus ends with one final piece that, I think, suggests that at least when he ended up with Phaedra, he found, it, he found a match in his malevolence. Theseus and Phaedra were married. They were the king and queen of Athens, the mythological founders of Athenian democracy, like I said. Again, mythological, they absolutely did not found shit. But Phaedra, not one to be outdone by the history of her husband, had a secret. She'd fallen in love with Hippolytus, Theseus's son with the Amazon queen Hippolyta. Hippolytus wanted none of that, and he rejected Phaedra. Much like how her husband would have taken rejection should he have accepted it and not just taken the rejector against her will, 
Phaedra was not psyched. In vengeance, she told Theseus that her, his son had raped her. And don't women cry rape to me 99% of the time they don't. And this is mythology and Phaedra was awful. Theseus believed Phaedra and he curses Hippolytus with one of the three curses he'd been given by Poseidon at some point. Who knows when mythological chronology is a mess. The point is he had three curses. This curse caused Hippolytus's horses to become surprised by a sea monster and he fell and was dragged to his death. And Theseus and Phaedra lived happily ever after. Maybe. I hope they didn't. And that, my friends, is the story of Theseus. He's one of the craziest, craziest figures in ancient Greek mythology because the ancient Athenians literally worshipped him as their founder. Like, he was the George Washington of Athens. Did George Washington found America? I don't know. I'm Canadian. He was the Sir John A. Macdonald. No one except Canadians gets that reference. And now I'm questioning whether that was right. Don't tell me if it's not. Theseus, what? Like, heroes were kind of shitty. I mean, I liked Perseus. He's pretty chill dude. Theseus was awful. What? Like, he did so many awful things. I wanted to do this story because uh, I know the story of Theseus and Ariadne really well. And um, when I was in university, I wrote a paper uh, comparing... Middle March of all things, but to the two versions of the Theseus and Ariadne myth, which is like the one I just told. And then there's another version where he loves her forever and doesn't abandon her on an island. But I mean, just again, based on his history, I think it's most likely he abandoned her on an island. But I knew that there were these two versions and that I wanted to do it. And so I started Googling and doing all that stuff. And my God, he did so many things. Like I was not expecting to have this many things to talk about. He did so many awful things. Anyway, can you tell I love this shit? It's insane. So thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk About Myths, baby. Another exciting episode done. I don't know what I'm going to do next week or else I'd tease it. But uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And please do me a solid and rate and review on iTunes. And please subscribe. And you can listen to this on Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud all the things because the internet is great and awesome you can find me on all the things twitter is at MythsBaby, instagram is at MythsBaby, facebook website all at MythsBaby. again not at because those aren't handles just MythsBaby. thank you all i would love to hear any feedback anyone has let's make it all good it's mostly a joke but seriously if you listen to this and you liked it and you don't know me personally, please feel free to reach out. And again, if you have any suggestions on future myths you want to hear, totally open to them. Shout them to the rooftops. I don't know what rooftops. I don't know how I'd hear you. That's not the point. It's getting late and I just recorded two episodes in a row and probably should end now. Thank you all so much. My name is Liv. I fucking love this shit. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll board it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin. and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.